Gaming and BS episode 77, sponsored by Grayed Out Dice Bags. Head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash grayed out. Use Gaming and BS promo code to receive 10% off your order. Welcome to Gaming NBS, where we're talking about opposed die rolls this evening. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. If you're new to the show, glad to have you on board. It's the Sean train, so oh. glad you're here. Woot, woot. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. All right. Got to bring up my notes in front of me. Well, from an announcements perspective, I'll just jump into that while you're scrambling for your notes. We have uh, GaryCon this next week, March 3rd to the 6th. That is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sean and Brett will be there. Sean, um, I think I'm going to be there all day Thursday and all day Friday. I'm thinking I might have to leave Saturday morning for family crap, but we shall see what we shall see. You're looking at all the, every, all the days, am I correct? I am. I will be there Thursday, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and Sunday morning for the most part. Uh, the only thing that we have is a 4 p.m. podcast panel on Thursday, and then I have, um, I have, I think I have like four, at least four events, um, all during the day, and I think in the evening I'm pretty much free and available for the most part. So, yeah. That's my schedule for Gary Con. Heading down Thursday morning, ass crack of dawn if I can. I was not positive I could make it yet. So my my plans are <clears throat> sort of last minute and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go. Obviously, pre-reg is closed way past all that. But Gary Con is well known for its pickup games. And I'm sure if I want to get in on something, if I want to run something, I could find a table with people who are willing to game. Yeah, there was yeah. There was something else I was going to bring up about Gary Con. I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I don't know. Anyways, uh, should we do random encounter? I think we should. Random encounter segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media, and the blog and the website. Um, you want to start? Yeah, I think I can do that. So we have Mr. Mark Dawson emailed us, and let's see what does Mark Dawson say. He says, hey, BSers, haven't had time to write in lately, but rest assured, I am still listening. I promise my intent last time was not to pimp my band on your show. (laughs) Using a musical metaphor as a real-life example for multi-classing. The band has been on on hiatus, so we haven't uh, had the need to promote lately. But if you really want to mention it on the show, I'll drop the name when we have more going on. Well, dude, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're a gamer and you if, got a band and you got and you want to talk to you, fuck yeah, tell me when and where you play. If you don't tell us the name of your band, we're going to make it up every time we talk about your band. I think that's a good idea. So yeah. since he hasn't given it to us yet, what are we going to go with? I don't know, butt pimples. No, 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 the no, butt no. pimples. It's got to be like, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, like like pink mind flare or something. Oh, it's pink like mind flare. Oh, pink gamer, yeah, it's, it's, gamer it's flare. Yeah, it's got a little gamer flair. So let's go with the uh, let's go with the um, mind flare toasters. It's kind of a punky thing. I don't know. Oh, 
Mind Flare Toasters. That's where we're at. <clears throat> All right. So once we know more about the Mind Flare Toasters, we will be uh, keeping our <laughs> listeners up to date. <laughs> Mark giving you some shit there, dude, obviously. Um, but anyway, thank you for writing in. And we've got more from Mark. He continues with regarding episodes 74 and 75 with investigation and gumshoe. You guys did a really great job of highlighting how <clears throat> much investigatory work happens in even a quote-unquote normal fantasy game. Players are usually grilling the GM for details in most scenarios, which brings up some interesting points on mechanics. Is it really necessary to have a character skill that requires a, a die roll for something that can be role-played between the GM and player? Seems like a lot of missed opportunities for fun interactions when we rely too much on dice and mechanics. That's a really good point, and I think um, that's one of the pieces I like about the gumshoe um, is it's a point spend. I want this. I have a good interaction. I use this. Here's the interaction. It's a very light and very simple mechanic to get that across. On uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he continues episode seventy six about monsters, or Sean says monsters. I'm surprised nothing was mentioned about players assuming the role of a monstrous humanoid. Seems a lot of options in recent publications started off as monsters or at least adversaries that became so popular they were eventually adopted as playable races. Anywho, really looking forward to the topic of episode seventy seven on opposed roles. The game uh, I've been working on has a combat system heavily based on this concept, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work, guys. Good game and all. We should have talked about, well, we could do that later, but being monsters, that's your party. You're the monsters. Somebody has come into your lair. Go to, go to work. My buddy Alpha runs a reverse dungeon, uh, second edition. That he uh, crafted up. I can't remember if he stole it from uh, an old dungeon magazine or if it's all his idea. Last time I played with him, the guy said I couldn't make the first session. And they're all like, first level of the dungeon, goblins, kobolds, little bitty grunt critters. <clears throat> By the time they got down to us, I had two characters. I had a troll and a beholder that I was running down there. And then we had other people who were like... Uh, a hag or something along those lines. And then the stupid adventurers came down and a deal with a little bastard sneaking around trying to steal our stuff. It was pretty interesting. It was a lot of fun. Good times. Reminds me of that old, uh, um, game, uh, dungeon keeper on the PC. I used to have back in the day. I never played it, but I saw it. It was fun. It was a hoot. Cause again, you're building up this great thing of horrible, evil mon- monsters and, digging for treasure and the damn Lord of the land and all the heroes come along get up, fight them off. (laughs) We got another one. Andy Hall emails us. I just saw this at the last minute. Thanks for writing in Andy. He says, number one, so we haven't proofed this. So hopefully Andy doesn't go off on us for some reason. Uh, Hey there, Sean and Brett. Number one, Brett, I need to learn more about counting coup. Huh? What did I mention? Oh, I mentioned that somewhere. Damn it. Anyway, keep going. If you want to riff on the subject a bit more and how else it can be worked into a game, that would be groovy. Uh, Andy, bonus points for using the word groovy. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a, I like the seven. I like to rip on some disco, uh, seventies tunes on occasion. On occasion. I do, man. Like in the middle of our star Wars game. Casey. Oh, that's right. I did. Didn't I? What I played during yeah, that? Yeah, you did. I don't remember what song it was. Oh, I it out already. Gary Wright, Dreamweaver. <laughs> yeah, Dreamweaver. It was That's great. right. It was requested by a player character. 
<laughs> yeah, because they were, uh, whatever. Anyhow. Uh, anyways, moving on. Groovy. The counting coup thing. I'll, um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to think about that one. I'll probably come back to it. Okay. Keep going, Sean. All right. Number two. You guys mentioned doppelgangers. I love the idea of these evils shapeshifters, but I think they are a really hard enemy to play without being a bit of a dick or adversarial GM. Um, got a story on that. What's the best way to run a shapeshifter you, if you are the GM? Have you guys had any good experience either running doppelgangers, shapeshifters in a game, or playing in a game where the foe or ally was a shapeshifter? One of my first Avalon stories was all about the doppelgangers um, had <clears throat> moved in and were taking over the uh, basically the Bards Guild within the city, a couple of different ones, and they were replacing people and so forth. Um, they came after the came after the party once the once the the players and they all got into conflict due to various different you know I saw this person doing this or something crazy happened or whatever and they ended up of course being in conflict. But I never had the the doppelgangers never replaced a player character. They would replace people that were close to them. So it, the level of paranoia went right through the roof <laughs> because every time you turned around, we had to. Um, I, we, i.e. I Brett, had to come up with a myriad of different ways because they're trying to figure out in a very low magic world, which is what Avalon is, is how the hell do you find one? How do you spot a doppelganger? And like, there has to be a tell. It can't be 100% perfection. So we we had a couple different ways and skill checks and stuff you could do. And it was, it was, a, it was fun. But it was always, it was just the paranoia piece. You know, uh, so, you, you never know who you want, you're talking to if they're really that person. So you know how players have that the, their player story, right? Like, oh, remember the time, and they they go into Absolutely. the player yep. story, right? I have a game master. I have a game master story. Lay it on me. So my buddy Dustin, I've known for quite a while, and he's always a very conniving game master. I think I've mentioned his antics on the show before where we actually end up predicting what he's going to do because he is so conniving. You, It's kind of over time you can kind of bet that if you go in the room and there's a lever, you know, you just walk out of the room, right? <laughs> oh, I, I know what this is. Yeah. What? We're dead. Just walk out of we the room. We don't know how you're going to die. Yeah, but the end result is death. So no, thank you. So he, could, he, he was unable to play pretty consistently. So what he was going to do is help me game master. So he was coming up with some plot lines, maps, um, and I was going to run the game. So essentially he could show up maybe for like the first couple hours and he'd kind of sit in the weeds and then he'd have to leave. So he didn't want to partake as a full fledged player. So one of the things was the party was on a ship. They, we got him on a ship. I don't know. We they were going somewhere. I don't remember the premise, but they were on a ship. And while they were on the ship, there's a doppelganger and the doppelganger is playing just like some crew member but essentially wants to take over the ship. And he hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. And he's got the party to contend with. So at one point in time, somebody goes down into, there's, there's a rumor of something happening, like the doppelgangers gangers wreaking havoc on the ship. So eventually what happens is they want to divulge who it is and nobody knows who it is, including their own party members, right? So the party's like, Oh my gosh. So they assemble everybody on the deck and they have all their weapons. And at some point in time, I think they're the doppelganger ends up like overtaking the captain or 
the, the first mate or something like that. And so the doppelganger takes his form and ends up getting everybody on the deck and says, look, we got to disarm everybody, take everybody's weapons and put them, put them in a hold. So the first kind of objective is get everybody unarmed, right? GM, unarm all the player characters. Unarm the players. Right. Or bastards. Yeah. And they're like, hell no, hell no, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, so what happens is they end up and they take them, they take them down into this hold. And then eventually what happens is somebody says, hey, we need to find out who the doppelganger is. So the doppelganger holds a lantern and he's got a magical device, like a magic ring of light or something. And he puts it in the lantern and says, I'm going to hold this lantern up. And if I'm going to hold it in front of the, the people in front of you and it's got magical properties. So if somebody wanted to detect magic inside the lantern would it's light up. Detect. Right. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> so and it's got magical properties that do what? I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. Don't okay. Remember. Keep going. Keep so going. the whole point of, is it's just a, uh, smoke and mirrors, right? The stupid lantern isn't doing anything, but you know, it's the, it's the magic doppelganger detector and he's running through, all the crew and, of course, the party members and all this other stuff. Well, so the whole objective is you know a storm is coming. And, of course, if you can get all the player characters to put their weapons in a hold and the storm comes along, they're going to get washed up on shore with nothing. Nice. <laughs> so this, it worked. Like, there was, like, bickering back and forth, like, oh, I'm not giving up my shit, blah, blah, blah. And then they would. But they all bought tickets to the Sean train. And but they, they were like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, all right. They What's did. the cost this ticket, sir? Oh, all my weapons and gear? Here you go. Yeah. I'll take They eventually spot. did. They eventually did. And of course, then, you know, somebody was chosen as the doppelganger because, you know, maybe he had control of the lantern and it would light up and he'd be like, oh, it's Brett. Brett is it. He's lit up. We must toss him overboard. And of course, that. And then the storm hits, right? So that's my doppelganger story. But it was where he was on board as a crew member, I believe. And then he took over like the cap, somebody of authority. So he just kind of moved up the ranks by just kind of like killing them and taking their shape. Um, and nobody could really figure it out. And it wasn't really in depth. It was just kind of a really minute piece of the story. Cause who knows where the doppelganger ended up after the storm hit. But mm. I think, I think that to me, I know a lot of, if I remember my doppelganger knowledge from back in first ed and other, OSRE type things. There was the, the, this push, if you will, to take over the player character, right? Oh. Hey, I took Sean's character and now Sean slides Sean the doppelganger character sheet. If your characters don't like PvP, that gets kind of ugly. Yeah. So um, I like to use them as the um, paranoia inducing masterminds of crime or whatever. You know, I, I had them as, like I said, infiltrating the Bards Guild. Well, the Bards performed in all of these locations. And pretty soon the group's like, Son of a bitch, if they go to this house, to this noble's house, and they work their way into there, and they work their way here, and they go there, fuck, they'll be running the whole damn city in like 10 years. They'll have taken over all 13 magistrate houses. They'll own the city. Oh, my God. This is going to be terrible. So they, you know, for the for the glory and the honor, they go forth and destroy them. So interesting. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. We've got more. We got two more points, man. Number three. Excuse me. Continues. I've always liked the idea of the non-human enemy slash crime lord 
Many non-humans will typically have the advantage of a long lifespan and patience, whereas humans are on a tighter budget. They only live so long, so their long play plans cannot be too long. Indeed. Uh, How long will a human enemy crime lord have to be effective? Maybe 30 years max? Now imagine what some dirty elf could get up to if he can live 1,000 plus years. Again, this assumes dudes with long lifespans are patient. That may be a poor assumption. Which that assumption can be fun to turn on its head then, right? Is that you have the elven crime lord or you have, or as I had talked about last time, a dragon crime lord who for what he's, he's done being patient. His patience has worn out or he has a need or a personal drive to um, make things happen faster. And that's when they make the first mistake. And that first mistake is a thing that the player characters stumble into or the law enforcement finds that, that clue, <clears throat> excuse me, that points them at something. And then through their frustration, and again, it's a personality quirk, right? Give them kind of that human trait of they're arrogant, they're cocky, all that good stuff, and they're they're out of patience right now. So they slip up. Then they get overly angry that they slipped up and retaliate just crazy hardcore. And then, okay, what was that? And by tapping some of those pieces on it, <clears throat> excuse me, it really can it can help kind of uh put a twist on the un, on the inhuman adversary. The other part though, as as he points out, as Andy's saying, if you if you go with somebody who's super patient, super long lifespan, that's like your that's almost like your liches at some point, right? Where they've been building and plotting and planning and plotting and planning. And it could very well be that at that point, when the players finally realize that something is up, they're going to be up against one of the best prepared foes Ever. I mean, they've, they've thought and plotted and planned and holy shit, you're, you're already up against the wall. The bad guy has everything locked and loaded. It's almost like the, the 11th hour battle at that point. That can, that's, a, that's a very good piece. One of, the, one of the bad baddies that I really liked um, isn't a single baddie. Uh, I was a big Eberron guy. Um, I got a lot of the books. And Phil, if, he's, if he listens to this, he's probably going thinking where I'm going. Uh, Phil Vecchione over at Misdirected Mark. The Lords of Dust from Eberron. And because I was thinking like, Rock Sasha, they've been around for a long time. They plot and scheme. Oh, that's what it was. Lords of Dust. So if you look it up on Google, the first hit, Lords of Dust, Eberron, talks about the Lords of Dust are devoted servants of the overlords, demonic fiends trapped in the Kyber. Over the last hundreds of thousands of years, the Lords of Dust have infiltrated the various organizations of Eberron. Their goal is to manipulate events to two ends, release their overlord masters from their bonds and gain revenge against their ancient enemies, the dragons and the quaddles. So they're pretty good because they've got some, I mean, they're, they're a group of baddies and they've been doing it for thousands of years, infiltrating it. So talk about throwing them in and screwing stuff up. That's good stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that again, that level of patience, level of infrastructure of badness that they've built up around them to support everything they've got. How did he escape through our fingers once again? It's Dr. Doom, bitches. He just gets away. This is what happens. He's set this up for God knows how long. As Very a game master, I mean, you put the players in perspective of those like that particular, like the Lords of Dust, it, you, they will finally realize they are not in control of anything. Right. Yeah. If you start really manipulating the world, like, look, you guys have been around for 20 years. We've been doing this for thousands of years, hundreds of years. 
Like you don't really know the deal. It's like the the the, the black government kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, you know the you know all the lords in the city. Ooh, Ooh, good for you. Ooh, an influencer. Whoa. Yeah. Guess what I did? I wrote a letter, sent it to this guy, and I had a world war. Right. <laughs> right. What? Yeah, I yeah. knew I knew where all the strings are. Oh, and by the way, we financed all sides. Yeah. Right. Because exactly. <laughs> they made more money that way. Right. War is good for business. Anyways, number four, moving on. Brett. I was recently wondering who smokes tobacco from a pipe anymore. And then a photo on G plus pops up on G plus of you with pipe clenched firmly in your teeth. Nice. The pipe is back. (laughs) Thanks again for the show. Andy, Mr. Hall, if you're nasty, Hey, (laughs) he said that, not me. Hey, (laughs) yeah, I do. I, uh, I smoke a pipe. I think, uh, probably maybe once a month. Usually I, I posted up this last time. I, um, I smoke one on the way up to my gaming group. Maybe have another one at some point during the game. But otherwise, I don't because it's not good for you. <laughs> you know, drinking whiskey isn't necessarily good for you either. So I take that in moderation as well. There, cool. there you have it. It's I, not a it's not a corn cob though. I, no, it's not. I don't like corn cob pipes. I'm a briar guy. or one of them big. Uh, what are the Sherlock Holmes kind? What the hell are they called? That's a calabash. Yeah. I don't like the calabash cords no. either. So the, the counting coup thing, I got to go back and listen to episode 60, uh, 76. I think I said something about counting coup in there. And for life of me right now, I can't remember. So counting, Mr. Hall, p- counting I, poo? Coup, you dumbass. Oh, <laughs> coup. So Mr. Hall, I'm going to go back, listen to what the hell I said, because it's slipping my brain and I will come back to you, sir, next time. There you go. Put on Brett's to-do list. Let's go to the main topic. Opposed die rolls. What are we talking about, Brett? Yeah, so Roger Braslett, uh, one of our friends of the show, uh, listener, long-time listener. At Gamehole, um, this is back this last one in November, he and I were chatting about um, Hackmaster. And he said, you know, I really want to like this game, but I'm just, you know, this, that, and everything. We talked about different components of it. And he mentioned that it has a lot of opposed die checks, a lot of opposed die rolling. And I remember it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that <clears throat> I don't think I have a lot of games that do that, apart from like the old arm wrestling competition type of thing. And it was a quick conversation, and I kind of left it at that. I've been thinking about it more, and I'm like, wait a minute. No, I've had, I have run games before where opposed die checks during combat, for instance, were just how it was done. And I thought, you know what, we should, I don't know <clears throat> how common it is or if it's, um, Roger's not a fan, right? I mean, he told me that flat. He goes, I don't like a lot of opposed die checks for like combat and so forth. And I think it's probably one of those mechanics you may love or hate. And the more I thought about it, the more I believe I used to not mind it as much, but I don't think I like it much anymore. Sean? Is is he do it for, is it for Warhammer he does it for? (laughs) No, Hackmaster. Oh, Hackmaster. Hackmaster. Now, full disclosure, I've not read nor played Hackmaster, so I don't know the details there. Yeah, I don't either. So, Sean, um... When you think opposed die rolls in a game, what does that mean to you? What, how would you define that? Usually, I would define it as a contest of some kind or, you know, yeah, I think that's the best word. Some type of contest where you're going head to head with another individual. So some would say that it's a player versus player character. Some could be player versus non-player character. But I think it, and it also involves a 
like a, a point counterpoint kind of thing. Well, that's what the contest is, right? So that's what I would say. If I well, had you, to define it, that's what I would say. The combat doesn't come to your mind, though, or does combat? Do you think non-combat tests, or do you think combat tests? Uh, so I've never played a game that opposed checks are relative to com- the combat mechanics. So Hackmaster, if that's course, what it, if yep. right? Ignorance here. But if that's the way that game rolls, great. I just, I don't have experience with it. And none of the games that I have played that I know of have that. So um, back in my vampire days, the original World of Darkness, that way it will put out, um, you would have an attack, you'd have an attack pool, you had uh, D10s, you could get big pools of D10s, you get five, six, eight, ten of the bastards. You roll them, you try to hit your target number, hey, I've got five successes. The other person has a defense pool that they then roll. I'm trying to remember if um, Shadowrun used to do this back in the day in first edition or not either. It may have. I think I, I have heard of this more with dice pool mechanics than others. But anyway, short version, you roll the hit, oh, I've got five successes. I'm trying to hit Sean. Sean rolls his defense pool. Oh, I um, <clears throat> I defended three times. Three comes off the five. I have two successes. If you're a vampire with a certain ability, I have a soak roll, which means just natural physical toughness in addition to my regular defense. So I get a soak roll. And yep, I had three of there, so you don't hurt me. Why does that sound vaguely f- like Warhammer, the actual miniatures game? <clears throat> yes, the actual miniatures game. So you can you roll the hit. I was just watching my buddies play this the other weekend Sixes, again, and, and I've played it before. Right. So you roll, you roll a, a fleet of six siders, and I need five, you know, fours to hit. Boom! I got, I got five hits on you. Um, I have an armor save. I have this save, and this. So it's very much in that game system, fantasy and forty k, where I roll to hit you, you roll to see if you save damage, roll to see the armor, blah blah blah. <clears throat> so it's back and forth opposed checks for combat. So when you were describing that, I'm like, oh, dude, I remember watching guys play warhammer minis and i'm like that's all you would hear oh i need fours to hit boom four hits oh i got armor check uh armor on this guy this guy yeah yeah roll for save or morale uh oh they're off the table Uh. i think in my rpgs though i don't mind it in the in the mini games that doesn't bother me it just seems part and parcel with it but in my miniature excuse me my non-miniature games my rpgs which is where my love is the the old arm wrestling contest or somebody's trying to hold the door and somebody's trying to bring, you know, feats of strength or trying to, I want to grab that before he can. It's like everybody make a dex check or initiative test and whoever wins goes first. Every time I do that, some it's a tie. It's, it just feels like it always comes up as a tie or it feels like it's too close to call or, or whatever. I don't like them even in those situations. And I certainly am not a fan of it anymore when it comes to combat i would rather even if i'm using a dice pool mechanic say i i come in and say i've got you know a dice pool of eight ten siders to hit you sean and sean says i've got a five defense i have to take five dice out of my pool a pool building you know that way where i'm either adding or subtracting but when you as a player you roll the dice like hey i did this really cool thing i hope and then there's another die roll that can scuttle you. You weren't not only you're not only trying to beat the odds of the dice itself, but you're also trying to beat the odds of whether the game master is rolling hot that night too. So there's two sets of dice that can determine whether you hit or whether you do any damage at all. And I think that I'm getting more to the point where I like things player facing from a from a die rolling perspective. 
And that's one, again, one of the reasons I like gumshoe is that you roll the hit, you roll this, you roll that. You don't, there are some opposed checks in gumshoe. You don't, I mean, that's just kind of, I think, the nature of the beast in, in a lot of role playing games. But I am more of the idea that I would rather say, well, you're trying to do an arm wrestling competition. I would give you the die and say, you have, because of his strength, you have a penalty on your die roll. Here's your target number. Try to hit it. As opposed to you rolling and I rolling, it's maybe there's a tension build or something that happens there, but I don't think that you trying to, you rolling a d20, me rolling a d20 just to see who gets higher is any more fun than if I give you the d20 and say, hey, you have a minus five on your check because this dude, he's half ogre, so good luck beating him in an arm wrestling competition. You already, you already have the penalty. Just roll against it. Yeah, I think that if you're slicing it that way, it could it, six one half dozen the other. If you decide to go with the DC type approach, I don't mm-hmm. think that's necessarily bad as long as you. The only the only way that I would say that that I would have a problem with it is if the DC isn't accurately reflected with the what the opposing die roll would probably be. So say you're going up against like a mountain giant or something or a titan who has a significantly larger strength and you have every person in the party against the door and you're like okay the dc is 20 you know is that relative to this titan smashing the door into like a million bits yeah and i don't i mean i I don't know how would in that particular case right what do i do with the d20 mechanic i'd have to you know Take a look at the strength bonuses right. and figure out what what I could do to stack it, stack and rack it. The other um, <clears throat> the other thing I've seen instead of doing that type of post rolls is I've not read the newer version of Call of Cthulhu, but the original Call of Cthulhu set had a uh, resistance table. He had like, hey, look, I've got a five strength. This has a five resistance. You look, there's a percentage die. Roll this, or it doesn't work. So it it took those things into account in a matrix. You just check the table. Oh, I want to kick the door down. This, I want to do this thing. Cross, boom. There's your anything that's trying to resist you. You have a resistance table to help you get past that. So I think that, again, though, that's a player facing die roll. It takes it and gives it to you. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. The game master can have it if I'm trying to push something past you, but it's a single die roll instead of comparing die rolls. Well, are you talking about when, but that example, it sounds to me like you're dealing with something inanimate. No, no, it could be if I'm holding a door or a tug of war. Okay, so you are talking that another you can, person has resistance. Yeah, you can. You're resisting the action. I gotcha. I gotcha. Right? How, I how is place, that built though? How how do you like how how would that what 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 numbers makes up the resistance number? So I gotta have to take a look at the chart. You know, because I'm I'm thinking if, if you're the, trying, if the active stat across the top is like your strength. And down the side is the other person's strength. I have a 20 and you have yep. a five. Yeah. Guess what? My percentage is really, really high for success. Right. No, that makes sense. But is resistance made up of those like two numbers or like is it has to be relative to what you're resisting, right? This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. So oh. if something has a, if it's like you want to break down a door, right. your strength is 12 and the door has a toughness of five, 12 and five. Hey, I got a pretty good door is off, bad example though. I'm talking about an in an animate object, like a person, an NPC. Yeah, strength versus strength. Oh, then you just go strength versus strength. You yeah, want to go, do that. okay, that's what I'm talking about. 
You're, I mean, you, you just use the, the stats as they are. Again, I, I don't have the chart in front of me, so I apologize. But, I get you. But my point was there's there's that's another option yeah. for opposed <clears throat> kind of a counter to the opposed role. Hmm. I think for me in the the place where opposed roles, I'm not a fan of it anymore, is in the combat arena. It was kind of fun in Vampire. Um, back in the day when I roll, the players would roll a fistful of tens. They say, hey, I got, you know, 10 successes. Ha ha. Wait. Defense and soak or dodge and soak or, you know, the, my dice pool roll and I'd count mine up. They count theirs up. And it didn't, it wasn't slow. Like, right. It, it didn't feel like it was a really slow mechanic. Like, oh my God, it took forever to roll all these salad bowls full of 10 siders because it wasn't quite that bad. But I, I look back on it now and I don't think I or my group would be really, <clears throat> at least I anyway, I, I'm not sure. The other, I'm not sure about the group on this one, but anyhow, I don't want to do that anymore. I would much rather have the dice rolls in your hands as a player, because I think there's more than enough drama and tension there. I don't necessarily need to add another layer of it by having my bad guys also have a role to cancel out your success. <clears throat> it's already sometimes hard enough for you to do something, right? It's one of the reasons I don't like the, um, I don't like the confirmed critical thing. Um, it's a similar, similar thought. We could talk about that at a different show, but if you have a really hard time to hit the dragon and you've got to roll a natural 20 or a 19 to hit me, I've got a high AC and you roll it, you know, comparatively. And then I go, ha, ah, yep. But the dragon gets a toughness check too bad. You're like, oh fuck. It's the only decent roll I've had all night. I finally hit the dragon in a big fight, but the dragon's toughness, not only does he have, you know, do I have a high number to hit him, but then he gets to soak stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, and I don't, and again, not all comparative systems work exactly like that, but that's the the principle in my head that I think about when I think opposed die checks in combat, it just turns me off. Uh, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't played in one, but I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, in combat would be kind of weird. And I don't know if it's because the majority, not majority, I don't even know if it is the majority, but many games that I play don't have that. It's usually... You know, an ability check, a trait check, a skill. and With modifiers. With modifiers. Maybe it's an opposing skill. So it's, you know, somebody's push to somebody's pull, whatever that is. Um, mm -hmm. I know Savage Worlds is an interesting one where they have, you do oppose. So if it's a strength check, it's strength. But whoever's initiating it rolls. No, shoot. Ah, I read it earlier where you... And then once they're done, then the other person goes to try to beat that. So they, and then they can, um, they're not expending, oh, they can expend bennies. So the, the first person can roll and decide to spend bennies to modify the roll. Okay. But it's not simultaneous, right? So then the other person goes, oh, I, what is your final number? Then they go and try to, to come, overcome it. And then there's raises that come into play. So the raises are determined off the target number, which is the opposing person's end number. Okay. So that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting counter, I guess, to what I kind of spouted there is that in that system, when you have bennies, you've got chips, that's, there's a Benny economy in that game system. And right. when you have tests and you're rolling dice, if you don't provide an opportunity for the bennies to flow, that economy dries up, right? Or, or people, they don't have the chance to gain or, or spend or anything. They don't have a chance to spend them, so they don't need any more. So you need to be able to bleed some of the bennies off the players. <clears throat> so that makes sense. I guess in a game like that, you know, I honestly hadn't thought about that. But 
in that type of game, I think it's it feels better to me. Right, because you're spending. You, you there's an economy of so in Savage Worlds, right? So you, yep. um, the economy piece of it, like I roll. Oh, it may be too low. I'm going to spend a lot more bennies or maybe I just give in. And that plays a part into the other person's. Do they have to spend bennies because their role sucks? So then it gets into an economy piece. And there may be a little bit of tension or there may be a willingness to give up. Because you don't want to spend, well, the second person, once you're done with the first person who to to go, once they determine their final number, they're done. Yeah, and they get that opportunity to go, boom, beat that mother. Right. <laughs> you know? And then the Whoa, other person. Wow, he yeah. really wants it. You know, right, exactly. You know, how bad how bad does that person want to? Versus when you play maybe a D20-based game and it's skills, they're going to take ability modifiers into that skill. So, you know, Brett is trying to deceive me. I'm trying to determine that he's deceiving me. He's rolling his deception. I'm rolling my perception, I guess, whatever it was. I can't remember. So on the on the plus side then is that, so thinking of it with, with that lens, like um, I'm having, like I said, I, I have a current preference to for more player-facing roles and simply apply a modifier. Sense How motive. It, what's that? Sense motive. Sense motive. There you go. Sorry. So um, now if I lay that aside, lay that, that personal preference aside for right now and say, well, what would... Um, why would I want to have that opposed check in a, let's not talk combat for a second. Let's talk about regular skill checks. Well, um, Sean's been, you know, sensing motive like a banshee all day long. He's doing really well. And, but the next time he plays the game, he can't hide in shadows. He can't sneak. He can't sense motive because the dice are cold. So <clears throat> that opportunity is there, that, that ability to have that random, that random piece where, Instead of just giving you a modifier, they could say, look, you're at minus 10. You're like, fuck, there's no way I could ever make that. This, the, the, the negative is too high. I can, I can never do that based on my current skill level. When you do have the opposed role, there's always a chance. Right. right. Sure. If we're talking opposed 20s, I roll a 1, you roll a 20. Right. Chances are low, but there is a chance that something cool could happen. And then you do have the gradients of cool. Or or is depending it? Depending on the numbers. Is Maybe it's not the sense of cool, but the lack of. Right. So the person that has, yeah, that too. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. It's not yeah. always I'm winning. It's how much am I losing in yeah. some of those respects. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that does definitely, that, that is definitely a good point, you know, in those, for those types of opposed checks. Oh, Sean's got me thinking now. Yeah, I try. So the, to take that logic though to combat, I, I still would rather have something as a die roll, uh, you know, if, if I'm going or a ser- whatever it is from the player and then the, the bad guys or however it is. I am not necessarily a fan of, if you will, the Warhammer approach of I roll the hit and then you roll to tell me if, if I did any damage. I'd rather have, <clears throat> well, I've got, you know, 50 armor points. You hit me. You did 40 points of damage, so I still have 10 armor points next time. You bang, 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 kind of stone skin, ching, 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 didn't quite do anything. Next round, I think I can cut through his his defense, and I can get to him, having almost a static uh, a static number or a static modifier of some sort, as opposed to opposed to rolls uh, in combat where I roll to hit you, and then you can roll and wipe it out. Again, the, the swingy factor of a game where there's um, – 
if I had a Benny's and if that was the type of thing that I was defending myself back and forth, you know, with, with die rolls and adding Benny's back and forth, um, like that, that, that could be kind of cool again, because it helps keep that economy flowing. But uh, just if there's even without chips or anything like that, the swingy nature of you rolling a fistful of dice, Brett rolling a fistful of dice, and you, you may, you just might win. You just might succeed. There is no quote unquote hard and fast number. Right. There's not a difficulty that given your current skill level, you could never do. It's well, a DC 30. Right. I can't do that. There's nothing I can do to hit a 30, even though I bonus the hell out of everything. Right. You know, well, and the interesting thing about the Savage World system is that, right, if it's, it's what I'm specifically referring to as trait, trait tests or use, you roll a trait. And so when you get that number, so your trait, because it's a die type in abilities, um, in what you do in Savage Worlds, it's not necessarily a a modifier, and you have a set number and you add to that. So, in it's a D, a die type. So, if you're you could have a D six, a D eight. So, the target number usually on in Savage Worlds is four, but when it's an opposed check, that's where that the difference comes in. And I think that if you so when you have a monster that may have a D12 type strength and you have a D6 type, there's still a chance that the D6 type can get a higher number. The chances of that happening are less. So therefore, the person spends the bennies, right? So I think there that is yeah, an interesting no, one. Yeah. But think, go ahead. So go, no, no, no. No, no, you go no ahead. really. Oh. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> this just hit me when you're talking about it. I think, I think the uh, <laughs> system matters. So- mm. If the game system, it, the way we're talking about a Benny economy there, and that's part of that game is you need to have that flowing. Yeah. And if you're talking about um, uh, da, 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 a D&D game, you know, there's the, what's that game supposed to be doing? How's that supposed to be doing it? Do those checks play a good role? I think that <clears throat> given how much gumshoe I've been reading lately, that may be um, kind of pushing my brain towards the more player-focused die rolls as opposed to constantly trying to do, I mean, again, as I said, they, they do, they do have some tests like that, but not, it's not as prevalent, <clears throat> at least not in my opinion. So I think as long as it doesn't like kind of either slow the game down really, really bad or introduce something that just doesn't feel right. So it'd be kind of like if in, if in a Savage Worlds game, if you were doing an opposed trait test or opposed or a test of some sort, and you couldn't spend a Benny. You'd be like, what? What do you mean I can't spend a Benny to influence this? Why, why is this this weird standoffish thing? Um, so to me, often in, in the D20 games, you're usually, let's take 5e. So in 5e, you're rolling a check to save against something. You roll a stats. You roll a stat check. You roll this check or that check. Um, the opposed ones, there's a little bit of that with saving throws, right? So the spell hits you. I get to save for half damage. <clears throat> Um, cause, cause then the, you know, the, there's an 80, whatever fireball and ho- hope to God, you don't take all the points. So that kind of fits. There's a little bit of confrontation between, between things, but in a game like Gumshoe, where it's more investigative, pers- more investigative approach, um, that's really not the purpose of that game is to have those, um, that those types of heavy duty, you know, back and forth, um, struggling, type of skill checks there, the post rolls piece. Still though, I think that 
my preference, unless the, the rules specifically state, and I really, there's no other way to do it. Um, <clears throat> is that if I go, I would rather give the die to the player and say, do this. You have a minus on your roll or t- give me an 18 or higher or something along those lines. And that may be just a fallback to my, my first ed days when there were no skills and you just <clears throat> told play, players, give me a die roll, roll 17 or above and you can do it type of thing. That was fairly common. And I think by putting all the fate, if you will, in that person's hands and having them do that is, uh, is more fun than, okay, you roll and I'll, I'll roll to see if I can cancel you out. Right. Kind of a downer. So with, Sa- with Star Wars, Edge of the Empire, the way an opposed check works is that <clears throat> Brett is the player. He assembles. Why are you bringing this up? Because I haven't been paying any attention. We've been playing like four sessions. I'm lucky I even. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. So Brett <laughs> assembles his die, die pool, um, whatever that is, based on his ability and skill. Um, so he may have four dice. And maybe he's got two yellow dice and two green dice. I won't get into the the numbers or anything, but he will have his die pool. The opposing person, because the or Star Wars Edge of the Empire, the good dice and the and the NPC has good dice. You obviously can't. I mean, you could do a who has more successes, but that that's not how it works in Edge of the Empire or the other Fantasy Flight game, Star Wars um, games. The way it works is if me, GM, has a non-player character, and that non-player character has two dice of uh, an ability and two in the skill, or whatever that looks like, they actually convert to the negative dice. So if you have any questions on what I'm talking about, go to episode whatever when we're talking about edge of the empire and the funky dice but essentially what happens is the npc's dice pool are negative and that gets added to brett's so brett will end up rolling potentially you know four of his own dice that are derived from his character and maybe two to four or whatever from the non-player character and he rolls them and then he calculates the results cool Yes. So that's so for example, Brett will know or some of the Star Wars fans that play the game will kind of know is that if Brett has two green and two yellow and the non-player character would have say the exact same die pool in the positive light, then what happens is he would have two purple, which are two difficulty dice, and then he would have two that were upgraded to red. So that's the counterpoint to the greens, a counterpoint to the yellow. Exactly. So Brett rolls and whatever comes out, you compare the symbols, you know, certain ones negate the other ones. And I then did, we it, did. I think we did have this one session and it, it is cool when you do that because it gives you, again, that's a narrative that whole, the, sim, the symbols, they're all built around. What does this mean? How many successes, triumphs, um, advantages, disadvantages, and that type of thing do you get out of it? So that, that is cool. That helps you instead of saying, well, he beat you by five. So five seems kind of high. So well, what does guess, that mean? What does wait, that mean? Well, right. What does yeah. it mean by beating me by five? Do I just win or do I win by some amount? Like yeah. does that, did, ha- I, yeah. did I win and dislocate his arm? Did I win? If, it's, if we're talking arm wrestling, right. But in a star Wars game, if you're doing it with that type of die roll, if you, 
triumph, triumph, success, success, advantage, advantage, triumph. You're like, um, I knocked him out. He's he's screaming in pain. I broke his wrist, something like that. Or if you have like one success and a bunch of disadvantages and nothing, you're like barely won. The guy thinks you cheated. You know, I mean, it, it starts to pile up. It gives you con- more context than yes. a raw number. Right. So if you, in Brett's example, so if he had one success and four disadvantage, it literally means that Brett could have succeeded in, in whatever that was. I succeed in what I wanted to attempt to do, but he did it in a way where the other person may trip him up, may put something in his way because he wasn't looking to his left or to his right or whatever that was. And then it comes into a narration point. Um, and that's kind of the coolness of the edge of the empire. And the thing is, is that Brett is rolling the dice. The GM is not rolling the dice. Yeah, so player facing. Right. And so there isn't me against him. It's just, and the nice thing is, and Brett hasn't probably really, really delved into this, and neither neither have I as the game master, but when you look at the dice in Star Wars Edge of the Empire, and you're looking at the actual traits, the actual skills, and the actual abilities, uh, attributes of the player character, and you actually look at the dice and the outcome of those specific dice, whatever they're assigned to, that can actually contribute to the narration of the story, which means that if Brett has um, charm, oh shoot, I wish I had a character sheet in front of me, but say say Brett had uh, an ability that was a derivative uh, or a skill, and those skill points are derived from say strength or dexterity. Or well, that, that helps to how you would do it. I did it in a dexterous way. I did it in a in a physical strong way, or I charm the fuck out of you in the process. Well, then it is what your skill is versus your innate ability also, right? It's what I did. I succeeded because I learned mechanics, not because it's, I was, I was brought up on, I was brought, it's inherent knowledge of mine. Maybe he was born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Who knows? Exactly. (laughs) Maybe. 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 It might be. Exactly. So that's kind of cool about the Star Wars Edge of the Empire as a side and getting into well, the post. I, I think, and, and playing that game recently as well, I really like the idea of whenever I can, my preference is to give the fate to the player. If it's a die roll, if it's, if it's a Benny spend or something, whatever it is, is have put it in the player's hand to say, you want to do this thing, do this thing. I've I like to do it as well. Like they're trying to. They're going to be, they want to arm wrestle you. You're going to do this. They're pushing against the door. You want to hold it. You roll, not me. Right. I want to give, if it's an opposed, if it's an opposed skill check or stat check, I give the die to the player whenever I can, uh, whenever allowed. And um, that's my preference. And in combat, I don't like the idea of me negating your successes with a die roll. Isn't there a parry? Isn't there a system that uses parry? Yeah, there's parries and such. But I thought you like roll parry or like I have a parry roll. Is that is that not? Yeah, that's Ger- not GURPS. GURPS, GURPS used to have a parry roll, I think. God, it's been forever since I've read my stuff. GURPS has a parry roll yeah. and some of those things too. And it's okay. I mean, there's levels of realism and, and uh, again, passing f- the, the fate of the dice around, if you will, and uh, trying different things. But that, that can get a little, little slow and a little laggy just trying to get through it all um i'd much rather have an assigned to difficulty something you know where it's like look i got five points of armor once you bust through that i'm wounded 
or I have a high armor class, or you just had a negative to do something, or, or whatever. I'd rather put it in your hands. It's already hard enough most times to fight something that's really tough without having to worry about the DM's dice being hot, and then I negate everything you're trying to do tonight. It can be a little off-putting. Yeah. Shit. So not my not my favorite way to go. So are we good on opposed die rolls? Any fa- final words? No, I guess, Sean, I think... If I put a bow on this one, I think we're saying that we both like more player-facing whenever possible. And um, if we're going to have to do them, we would prefer to in a non-combat situation. Yes. Are you, are you agreeing with me? Yes, I would agree with you on that. Sweet. For the most part. All right. All Mr. Rasslett, right. if we did not hit what you wanted us to hit, brother, let us know. If you've got a different point or if we missed something, or anybody else out there, obviously. There's a hell of a lot of games that Sean and I have not played. Other people are going to know more about opposed dice rolls and different systems we haven't even mentioned. Give us examples. Tell us what you're tell us what you're about, Do why it. you like or don't like it, and we'll take it from there. Yeah. Like like, like update. Uh, whoops. That's not the one I wanted. Yeah. No, it isn't. Like Shay LaBeouf says. Do it. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, let's get into get into die roll. Yeah, yeah. 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to bring to your attention. I have two. Brett has two. And we have a listener call in on one. Brett, yes, your honor, your honor. Right. Your honor, your honor. Oh, well, thank you. So the first one I have is uh, Pathfinder has their humble bundle going until March 9th. There's a link out there. It's um, a shit ton of Paizo Pathfinder stuff. Even if you're not necessarily a Pathfinder fan, but you like D20, I mean, if they've got great source material, they've got really good stuff. If it's D20 based, it, I mean, it's good stuff if nothing else to steal from. Sean, did you get in on this one? So I spent like 20 bucks and got about, I don't know, 20 PDFs at least. It's a lot of PDFs. Man. I mean, it was Pathfinder Society stuff. So a, a, a good amount of those and a few of the hardback back books in PDF. Yeah, and this is, I believe this one's like supporting Extra Life, and so it's a, it's a charity thing. Yep. So when you do this, it's a, it's all for charity, so that's pretty damn cool. And they were gaming live on Twitch. That's right. At the so, time, so, kudos to Paizo for pulling such a thing together. Nice work. Yes. The other one I have, I've been talking a lot about Pelgrane Press, so I would be remiss if I did not make this note. Seven Wonders is a story game anthology from Pelgrane Press. It's available for pre-order. I have a link in the show notes to the Pelgrane site. I did find it also on Through where you can order it. Um, Seven Wonders is a collection of standalone story games from UK-based games designers that focus on characterization and intercharacter drama and using improvisational techniques to tell innovative, compelling tales. So it looks kind of cool. Um, for those of you who are story gamers, you might want to check it out and see what you see. Sean, that's what I had. Over to you, man. Chaosium's got a GM program. Organized play for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, when I saw that, I went, what? Wait, what? They're doing what? So we haven't talked about organized play, and we have to kind of keep up with the rest of the whole entire RPG podcast industry. I wouldn't call it industry, but you know what I'm saying by talking about organized play. We have to do it at some point, yeah. I mean, it's inevitable. We have to do it. <laughs> at some it's point, part of the. In, it's like talking about dice. I might as well yeah, throw exactly. in. You know, someone's going to tell me why they don't like opposed roles. Oh, well, now it's time for this topic. That's know? right. Uh, well, this so, is interesting. I don't, Cassium's never done this before. Organized play. Right. 
Interesting. Yeah. So check it out. So um, you can, there's some criteria. There's a code of conduct um, and it's running events kind of, I think, all over the place. And I guess you get, you get credit. You get $3 in-store credit at chaosium.com when you run events. Um, they've got a little bit of incentive behind it. So check it out. Link in the show notes. Number dose. D&D movie story like Guardians of the Galaxy only in Tolkien type universe. Brett's muted. Thank what? God. No, I just, no. I'm just so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Brett's like, yeah, no, I'll probably go and see it. And I go, no, oh, no, but, but the, you said you were gonna. You're like, I'll well, probably I go and see I, it. I'll see it. Like, and I'll like rent it type oh, of thing. I'll oh, watch okay. it at home. Because I said Brett wasn't going to see Star Wars, but he's going to see this Well, awesome I'll see movie. Star Wars eventually. I just, okay. I'm not in, I'm in no rush. I'm in no rush to see this either. Well, that's good. Cause I, I can't imagine, I don't know what it's going to be like. I can't imagine it being, I, I know some people are very, are excited about their, there's possibility potential now that Watsy has their shit together that blah, blah, blah. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to be very good, but I like B, I like B fantasy movies. I mean, I watch Hawk the Slayer for Christ's sake. It's not like well, there's plenty out right. there. That's for sure. There's plenty of them. Yeah. So, and fuck, I'm a gamer. I'm gonna have to watch it. It's like I'm a nerd. I'm gonna have to watch the Star Wars. Movies. I don't think it's I've seen. I don't think I've seen one D and D movie. You're and you're not and you're a better man for it. Really? Wow. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate it's, that. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt. It hurts a little, I should say. And then we have one from listener. Yeah, Matt Martinez brought our attention to the Sentinels of the Multiverse Kickstarter. This is the latest and the last. The end of the multiverse it features the final Sentinels of the Multi. Verse expansion packs of every variant card ever and the ultimate collector's case. This sucker is going on for 11 more days, and that's you know, um, what are we? It's gonna be ending up on March 11th, so we got some time. Take a look, I'll have a link in the show notes if you're into it. Poke around out there and maybe get in on some Sentinels of the Multiverse. Well, I think Matt mentioned that if you blow 399 bucks or something, you get the entire library. Yes, is that you're what he right. Said? He did. He did say that. Yeah, I was like, "Holy shit!" Is that PDF or printer both? I do not know. I don't. Either. I saw it and I threw it out there. I'm not. I'm not a big supers guy. You know. Yeah. But I went, "Wow, damn, that looks cool." Um, there's probably some listeners who like that stuff. So here, here we are. So thank you, Mr. Martinez. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think that was it. I uh, I have you know, I didn't start the show with this. Should I end off with it? What have you got? So if, I it's, went to, if it's no good, keep it to yourself. So I went to the local game <laughs> store, local game store, and I got to say, it's not. Which one? The one. <laughs> Is it the one that's near the office or the one that's farther away from the office? Uh, one by the office. One by the office. And and I got to say. <laughs> if anyone knows where Sean and Brett work, you, you can figure that out. Yeah. Anyway, if you're on. in Madison, you might know. Um, but I got to say, I went in there and they always have the best RPG selection. They really do. I give them kudos for that. I mean, the store could use a, a facelift, um, because but it's the only, it's the only game store in town or the, any that I've run into on a regular basis that, or even irregular basis, you go in there and they have a raft of Pelgrain press stuff. They have they a do. bunch of burning wheel. They have a yep. bunch of the, you know, holy crap. Yeah. They do. So I got double tap and then I went back today and got uh Feng Shui or Shui or whatever you want to call it. But I got that. But here's the, here's the thing I want to comment on. This is kind of a, this is kind of a myths me. And then at the same time, I'm like, I applaud them kind of weird, but I'll explain. Okay. So when I went and bought Knights Black Agents double tap, which is a 25 hour 
um, you know, hundred and some page, what is it? 232 page. It's a good book. I bought mine at Gen Con a while back. Supplements of Knights Black Agents uh, by Pelgrim Press. Mm-hmm. The person who rung me up is like, oh yeah, and we got that on Bits and Mortar. Now, if you're not familiar with Bits and Mortar, I brought this, I brought up Bits and Mortar to a local game store. I can't remember if it's this one or somebody else, but I had brought it up quite a while ago. I think it was one of the other ones. Might have been. And uh, I was very surprised. So for folks that don't know what Bits and Mortar are, you can do Bits and Mortar RPG, and it should probably come up on Google. But what it is, it's an initiative. I can't remember if Fred was behind it, Fred Hicks from um, Evil Hat or not. But they kind of set it up online where any retailer can like, say, hey, we want to offer this to our customers. I don't think there's any cost to the retailer. So what happens is if you buy a participating publisher that partakes in bits and mortar, when you buy a product in the store, you get the free PDF. So when he's like, oh yeah, you, we're on bit, this is on bits and mortar, I'm pretty sure, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, you guys are on bits and mortar. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, sweet. Can I get your email? So he gets my email. Boom. I get the PDF copy of Double Tap in addition to the print copy, which is awesome and makes the the local game store more value, valuable to me. Oh, I yeah, think, that's right? totally sexier now. Right. So here's my beef. How long have you had it in place? Why didn't I know about this? Why didn't I know about this? I would Why have bought- not a sign on the wall that says, hey, guess what? We do bits and mortar. Buy Hello. hardcovers, buy games from this company. You will get this. Hello. McFly. <laughs> McFly. Like, seriously, man. Send out a freaking email. Like, hey, just wanted to let you know. When you buy your stuff here and we have a participating publisher in bits and mortar and you buy the hard copy with us at our local game store at full price, you will get a free PDF. Oh. Ah, I give up, man. There's some, I don't know. I don't get it. Marketing. (laughs) Now, if you're a local game store and your local game store does do this and they let you know and they're doing all the right stuff, awesome, kudos, good for you. So my my cool thing is, great, now I know this. Uh, Thanks and yay, but geez, tell a few people, holy cow. Yeah. Anyways. There you go. That's all I have to say about that. Anyways, another add-on. At the, I'm doing all this at the end of the show because when I started, I was unconscious. Um, I'm also on Voxer, and we have a gaming and BS group on Voxer. So Brett's like, I don't know what Voxer is, which is fine. It is. Don't have to go get on Voxer. I know, right? It's an app. So somebody's gonna be like, "Well, that's the same as Google Hangouts, kinda." So uh, Wayne. My buddy, our buddy Wayne in Michigan and Joe Swick are on Voxer and we'll have a little gaming and BS group and I add people in there. And basically what it is, it's kind of like a walkie talkie. So you, you go on there and you can text, you can put in a photograph or you can just hit the record button and talk. And then it records that little snippet. And then when you go into Voxer, it's kind of like this threaded message. It's just like an IM, right? But in the IM, there's a little player. You just hit the player. So if Joe leaves a little voice, I can tap on the player and it'll play Joe, what he, what he says. So we're going back and forth and saying, Hey, you know, I played this star Wars game and Oh, what'd you do this weekend? So if you want to become, if you got Voxer, it's on Android, iOS, and I think it even has a web interface. Um, and you want to join in and kind of 
babble back and forth about gaming or whatever you're doing, feel free to join us. My username on Voxers, Sean P. Kelly. That's S-E-A-N. Last name Kelly with an E-Y. A few gotchas in my name, but there you go. It's better than my last name, so hey. <laughs> yeah. Brett B. It's much easier. <laughs> all right. So yeah, that's all I had to say about that. Forrest, cool. Forrest Gump. Well, hey, thanks to our patrons, Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School GM, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Aguirre, Misdirected Mark, Brett's biggest fan, which if in case anyone has figured out, is my wife, um, <laughs> Mark Anthony Benedetti, Tony Baker, and Kadion. Consider being a patron of the show. Go to GamingBS.com forward slash patron. Yeah. Otherwise, I have a great week. Thanks for listening to us. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all.